Hey, party people. Now, we don't have a new episode this week, but it's for one very good reason. Kate and I are hitting the road for an epic road trip adventure to the home of all things Gen X. Yep, I'm talking about Seattle, Washington. Now, we're going to try to podcast on the road, so stay tuned for that and cross your fingers also. But in the meantime, in honor of the theatrical release of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I'd like to offer a very special encore presentation of our season one episode where Kate and I covered this Judy Bloom classic. And we're sharing our own coming to terms with our coming of age. And it's all bras and periods and hormones. So take special care while listening. Bye. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. Today we're doing something a little different by paying homage to Judy Bloom's beloved and yes, controversial young adult novel. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Because this 1970 literary classic holds a special place in the heart of nearly every Gen X woman, we'll explore the book's timeless themes involving friendship, puberty, and the hard questions we dare ask while taking those brave first steps towards self-discovery. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying the pod, we'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we'd also love to hear from you on the socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. But enough about all that. Let's get into puberty in the sixth grade with Margaret. Hey, Kate. Hey, Lori. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited and a wee bit nervous to tackle this book. It's just, it's such a great book. Exactly. Which is why I don't want to ruin it with a bad podcast episode. <laughs> we will not ruin it. Okay. I read this book when I was young at an impressionable age, but I didn't actually remember a lot of it. Like it holds a special place in my heart, but I had forgotten a lot of it. And I feel terrible saying that because this book is a big deal, especially for the Gen X woman. I read this book many times. Like I can still, I don't have it still, which breaks my heart a little bit because I do have a lot of the meaningful books from my childhood. Mm -hmm. But I honestly think part of the reason I don't have it is that the cover was probably mangled because I read it so many times. What year did it come out? 1970. Okay. Yeah. So it was around a long time before I was a child. Mm -hmm. And I think I read it long before I got my period. So when I was quite a bit younger, I don't think I ever, in fact, I know I didn't read it after I got my period, or if I did, I really didn't make a connection that I'm going to talk about later. Okay. Yeah. I loved this book and I read it many times and I remembered most of it. I'm actually kind of surprised that I didn't remember more because I think I read this book in the seventh grade and we meet Margaret going into her sixth grade year. And Margaret was a lot like me. She was this really good girl who came from a private school into a public school setting. She was really innocent, trying so hard to forge this deep connection with God when she had it all along. When I was a young girl, I felt very close to God going to a Christian school. I used to pray to God all the time exactly the way Margaret did. And the big questions she's asking and 
there's exhilaration and fear and not wanting to do it wrong, like just trying to get it right. It's a heavy burden. It is a heavy burden. When I was that young, I don't know that I had that issue, but ooh, man, did I develop it later in life? <laughs> a healthy dose of neuroses and anxiety. It's <laughs> right. what we can all look forward to. <laughs> well, it's interesting in learning more about Judy Bloom because I'm familiar with her work, you know, in the broader sense, but I didn't actually know a lot about her. And she studied elementary education at NYU, and I too studied elementary education. And I too applied to NYU and was rejected. (laughs) Okay, then. Bloom received a $1,000 advance for this book, and she did say that Margaret was inspired by her personal experiences in sixth grade. She didn't develop at the same rate as her friends, and she also had, quote, a very personal relationship with God. Bloom told Q, it was my third published book, but the first real book, the book where I just let go. I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it. And this is what came out. I love that because the inhibition as a writer is very, very real. And she just let it out based on her personal experience. And I know that she had said in other interviews that Margaret's family wasn't based on her family life, but the feelings about the big issues, the friendship and puberty and religion, those were all based on her personal experiences. Right. Like the core of the story. Exactly. This book is one of the most challenged children's books of all time. Which just says so much about our culture. Oh my goodness. I understand. You know, it was released in 1970. Did they advertise feminine products on TV back then? Like, probably not. Right. That was the days of like, mom, sometimes I get that not so fresh feeling. It's true. Even though it was named as an outstanding book of the year by the New York Times in 1970, Bloom donated three signed copies of the book to her kid's elementary school library in 1970. She said, quote, the male principal was not a good guy for many, many reasons, but he removed them, the books, from the library and said, quote, you know, girls in the sixth grade are too young to read about this. We can't have these books in our library. Don't tell them they're going to menstruate. (laughs) Menstruation. Don't tell them they're going to be caring about their body changing, the development of breasts, getting their period, pubic hair, and trying to figure out their place in the world and in their family. Don't tell them those things because that's not happening in sixth grade. In fact, one would argue this should have been in their library long before that. I mean, Katie, think about it. Poor Laura Danker. Like Laura Danker could have used this book probably in the third grade. Right. So to say, so to say like, oh, sixth grade girls shouldn't be reading about that. That's crazy. Laura Danker was developing probably in second, third grade. I got my period at the end of fifth grade. So yeah, by the time I was in sixth grade, like that ship had sailed. You have to tell the listener when you got your period, Katie. I mean, we're getting a little personal here, but this is a really good story. (laughs) It is. So some women have cycles that are wildly irregular and they never know when it's going to come. Wait, full disclosure. Kate is a midwife. She knows everything about the female reproductive system. So we're going to listen to her because she is basically like the authority. Right. Like I could, if you wanted me to right now, draw out all of the hormonal changes in a menstrual cycle. My first period happened on my 11th birthday. Like to the day. And every 28 days after (laughs) But like clockwork, like on your 11th birthday, every 28 on my days. 11th birthday. Yeah, it was. No textbook. Right. 
either my apartment is very warm or I'm having a hot flash right now. I'm not sure. But you know what we need? Judy Bloom, I know you don't write anymore. But honestly, could we have like an Are, are You There God? It's me, Margaret, from Menopause. Are You could There you, God? Like, it's me, Lori. <laughs> like Margaret goes through menopause. <laughs> I would buy it. I would read it cover to cover. Right. Because they have updated it a little bit. Yes. Just a touch. I'm not a super fan of the cover. So the new cover looks like Margaret is texting with God. It says, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Like in text bubbles. And like text bubbles. And then there's the dreaded three dot text back. Like waiting for a response from God. God is typing back on her, you know, iPhone 12. I assume that they did this to like make it more appealing. Probably not and actually meant to appeal to like teenagers even. It's really meant to appeal to that like preteen tween audience, which I could see that they would be drawn to that. So don't worry. She's not actually texting God in the book. They didn't update it that much. That would have been a whole different book. I'm glad they yeah. didn't. But the cover suggests she is. So I don't know. That's why I'm not a fan of it. The most notable upgrade to it is that the pads that they use actually stick to the underwear instead of having to be attached to a belt. So I don't know, like, when did those belted menstrual pads go away? I don't remember ever seeing them. I don't think that my mom ever had them. No, I don't ever remember seeing them. And I was very involved in my mother's menstrual products. I was very curious about them. Mm -hmm. Well, she didn't really hide anything. And and I I can remember filling the sink up with water in the bathroom. (laughs) How much do they absorb? And dropping tampons in to like watch oh, them tampons. expand. Interesting. And I didn't know what they were for. I was very familiar with pads, but I didn't know much uh-huh. about tampons. Uh-huh. And she had like the OB kind, right? Which just, yes. are, you know, there's no, no applicator. applicator. So I would like unwrap them and like drop them into. The I'm sure she was really happy you were wasting yeah. them on that. I'm sure she appreciated that a lot. But I can remember my mom telling me, because I think I must have asked her like, what are they talking about in this book? Uh-huh. Um, and she was like, oh, that used to be how you had to wear your pads. And she's like, and sometimes like the part in the back, because it would go like around your waist in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about. They were like plastic, I guess. I don't know what kind of material belts that went around your waist. And then like, there was like a strap that went down the front and down the back. It's such an apparatus. Right. And like hooked on to the pad. And my mom was like, sometimes the part in back would like twist and you would sit down and it would like (gasps) jab. (laughs) oh no can you imagine no I'm so thankful I wasn't born in that era (laughs) I am too but I do remember the pads of the 80s when we started using them in junior high like putting a full-blown pillow between it was a pillow they were so big don't you remember like it was a really big thing in junior high to be on your period and you'd put on a pad and you'd tell your friends, you'd walk forward and you'd be like, can you see it? Can you see it? And you would move your body in all these ways. Can you see it? Because we were just so horrified at the idea of someone being able to tell that you're wearing a pad in your guest jeans. Like, oh my God, no, I can see it. Right. We were supposed to all pretend like that wasn't there. Right. That you weren't having a parody. And God forbid you happen to leak through something. Oh, Katie, that used to happen. Like. So pads didn't always have wings and that's where you would leak, right? Right. On the sides. And 
that was a big consideration in my life all throughout junior high. Like if you happen to accidentally wear light colored pants the day your period started and you were like, what have I done? You know, when you're a young person, you're not tracking your period very well. It's oftentimes Mm -hmm. unpredictable and that would happen. And it was like, if that happened to you, you would have to wear your PE shorts the rest of the day. Which were very short at our middle school. (laughs) Like Like dolphin shorts. Inappropriately short. Well, that's how they were in the eighties. Yeah. Like it was just such a worry. And then if you had to go between between classes to go take care of your, you know, feminine product situation, you couldn't hide a pat. They were so big. Right. Like if you were in class and you had to go mid-class, you couldn't discreetly like shove something in your pocket. You had to take no. your purse and then everybody knew because you took your you purse took your to purse. the bathroom that you must be on your period. Yeah. Yeah. I, so what's interesting to me is that in this book, everybody's like so excited about getting their period, right? Like yeah. they can't wait to get their I period. Know. And that was not my experience. And not unlike this book, I had you and our neighbor Uh and we all hung out together and we were the same age. And when I got my period, I didn't tell any, I mean, I told my mom, but I didn't, I didn't want anyone to know. I was thinking about this last night. I was like, did I know another close friend that got her period before me? And I don't think so. Wow. I think I was the first person in my peer group that I knew, you know, closely enough to have that discussion that got it. And I did, I was so... I don't know what the right word was. I do remember, and I'm just going to, this is actually the advice that I give people when they're talking about talking to their young daughters about like when they started their period and stuff. And I remember telling my mom like, oh my God, please don't tell dad. Right. Like I was horrified by the idea that he would know. And, you know, I'm sure she did what she thought was the best thing to do. And what she did was say, oh, of course not. Of course I wouldn't do that. And then like, what did she go do? She went and told him because of course she told him. Right. Like as an adult woman now, I totally understand that. But what I would have loved if she would have explained to me, no, see, dads understand about periods because they're married to women who have them. So it's not like this mystery to them. They're not going to make fun of it. Like they get it. And that I think would have made me feel a lot better than just having her tell him behind my back sort of, because I was horrified. I was like, and then of course, so one of the things I'm very grateful for is that my mom died when I, I'm not grateful that she died when I was 12, but so my mom died when I was 12 and my period started when I was 11. Mm -hmm. And I'm very grateful for the fact that I didn't, have to tell him like, yeah. right. Like that it was bad enough to have right. to be like, I need more pads, <laughs> you know, when I was that age, but to have like my very first one. I was dreading starting my period. I was so afraid of it because like Margaret in one of her prayers, it was like, she had a male teacher in sixth grade. She's like, please don't let me start in class. I don't know how I will explain it to him. So Part of it was the fear of when this thing was going to happen. Right, it's so unknown. Like you never knew. I started my period one day after school and um, I was watching Little House on the Prairie in reruns. <laughs> and I was embarrassed to tell my mom 
But I was a kid who was really reluctant to grow up. Like puberty was very uncomfortable to me and I needed to wear a bra, but I was embarrassed that I wore a bra. I didn't want anyone to know that I was wearing a bra. I didn't want to start my period. I didn't want to talk about boys. I didn't want to do any of those things. One Christmas, my mom gave me a box of bras. This is (laughs) I was there. I remember that. This is the worst Christmas gift I ever got. (laughs) I think it was the last Christmas before my parents got divorced. We were all together. (laughs) And my mom gave me a box of bras for Christmas, which really, love you, mom, but that's not a gift. Did you like run down the hall? I ran down the hall to my room and I shut the door and I burst into tears. I mean, it was so horrifying She left me me. in the living room with her parents. It was so so embarrassing. And I was like, why did you like in front of my dad? I just wanted to die. And my dad, like, what's it to my dad? He didn't care. Like he knew I was growing up and obviously he knows about periods and bras and whatever, Right. but it was just, but it felt so private, like so private, like so private that I was even embarrassed to tell my mom, mom, I started my period. I didn't want to tell anybody. So the full story of me starting my period, which kind of tie, like, which interestingly ties into the end of this book is, and I, and I never made the connection until I reread it just now. So it was my 11th birthday. My 11th birthday was also the like last day of school from fifth grade to sixth grade, which was our promotion from elementary school to right, middle, middle school. school. Mm-hmm. And we had a dance. We had like a little sock op like that okay. afternoon. And so I was there. And thankfully, I was not a skirt wearing child at mm-hmm. all. Like I was a tomboy. I did not wear skirts, but I had gotten like a new denim skirt because that was the thing. Right. <laughs> and I had a denim skirt on for the dance, which I think was actually very lucky because I don't think I sat down a lot at the dance. So Uh I was standing. So even like if anything got on my underwear, which it did, it didn't get onto my clothing, right? Because there was no clothing for it to soak into other than my underwear. And then I had a sleepover. So I can remember like going, because it was my birthday, going home from the dance with all of my friends and then going in the bathroom and being like, like hiding my underwear. (laughs) And I think I put a pad on because I knew what they were, mm-hmm. but then I like waited until I like showed my mom my underwear later. <laughs> it's interesting because you were talking about like putting tampons in water to see them expand. And I remember like we had pads at my house and I would test them and I would put them under running water. How much water can these hold? Did you get some blue liquid and I pour know. it on? <laughs> It's not. I just used water. And I remember being like, okay, they hold a lot. But like the care and management of all of that when you're young is so foreign. And then boys don't understand it. And so it was always a thing. They tease people about it. Exactly. It was always a big joke. Like they would never be allowed to do it now. But do you remember the boys used to come up to us and they used to pull on the back of our bras and snap them back. Do you remember Mm -hmm. that? They used to happen all the time. And it was horrifying and embarrassing and it hurt. It's so funny in the book because Philip Leroy, you know, the boy that all the girls like, the cute one, even Mm -hmm. he's a real jerk when it comes to like girls and bras because they don't understand. From all of this, what I get is like, we need to do a better job 
in terms of educating our young people, like they send the boys away. Yes. When the girls watch the film, Mm -hmm. like, no, like have, I mean, maybe have them do it separately if it's too embarrassing for them to do it together. Two separate showings is probably fair, but I think the boys get the boy talk and I think the girls get the girl talk, but I don't think they get each other's talks. And I think that that's. They really should. Missing. I think that there are differences in coming of age for boys and girls. And like, just to kind of understand like what the other is going through. So let me just give a quick summary of the book in case it's been a while since you've read it, or you're maybe interested in sharing this book with your daughter or a young person in your life, or you have never read it. So let's see, Margaret Simon, she's our protagonist, is an 11-year-old girl who moves from New York to the suburbs of New Jersey right before starting sixth grade. She quickly makes friends with a neighbor girl, Nancy, who seems wiser in the ways of the world than Margaret. She's rather forward and has no qualms talking about things like bras, periods, and kissing boys. Nancy brings Margaret into their friend group, rounded out by Gretchen and Janie, and together they tackle sixth grade and all the wonder and confusion it entails. The girls form a secret club where they meet weekly to discuss their changing bodies and secret crushes. All the while, Margaret finds herself questioning her body and relationships, including those with her friends, family, and most importantly, God. That was a nice synopsis. Thanks. I worked kind of hard on that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we said this book was released in 1970. Last October was the 50th anniversary of this book. That's so weird because I'm only like 25. I know. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) And big fans of Judy Bloom and this book particularly are Zooey Deschanel and Mindy Kaling. It's such a weird time in your life as a young woman. And so to have it just reflected back to you on the page so nicely to be like, oh, she doesn't have all the answers. She has no idea what she's doing. She does dumb stuff sometimes. (laughs) Margaret's whole thing was just wanting to be normal, right? Right. Like, I want to be normal. Am I normal? Am I doing things normally? Am I on a normal timeline for growth and development? Normal, normal, normal. I want to be like everybody else. And that's how everybody feels. And everyone feels not normal. Right. Like, that's what I was going to say. Like, so I got my period when I was 11, which some might argue is very normal, quote unquote, but that felt too early to me and my friends hadn't gotten it. So then I felt weird. I don't know when you told me you got it, but I remember feeling a little bit like, I can't believe she didn't tell me. I remember feeling a little hurt. Yeah. Both of you were. (laughs) And like, I think maybe didn't believe me. I could say like, you didn't want to tell anybody, right? Because you thought you were the first one among your group of friends. But what if you weren't? I did. I don't think that I came from a family that really celebrated my transition from childhood into young womanhood. I mean, I didn't either. I, I think that's kind of a relatively new concept also. I think so. And I, but I think that there was a certain amount of, I don't know, shame is probably too strong of a word, but like apprehension, like, oh, she's getting older. Like what's going to happen now? Because I remember, you know, there's a scene in the book where they they decide in their club that uh, one of the rules of their club is that they all have to wear bras. Um, (laughs) And so when they meet, they all have to wear bras. So all of the characters, well, I think Nancy already has a bra uh, and, but the others have to go out and get them. So Margaret has to ask her mom, you know, can she get a bra? And her mom's kind of like, oh, uh, sure. Okay. And she really doesn't 
need, need one. one. What do they get? The grow with me bra? Yes, grow, grow with you. <laughs> um, her and is it Gretchen or, that she I sees so. there? I and think they're like so. horrified. And um, nobody mentions what they're there for. Oh, I'm here to buy pajamas. Which is funny because they're in the same club that made this rule, but okay. Exactly. Be like, I'm here um, for the club. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, that's also so typical, right? That you're like, yes, when we're alone in our like girlhood, we're going to make these plans. And then like when we're out in the real world, we're like, oh no. So I needed a bra, but I I was like so embarrassed to like acknowledge that and talk to my mom about it. And Uh I can remember we were at like Mervyn's or something. It was Mervyn's, trust me. But I sort of like pulled my mom aside and was like, mom, can I get a bra? And this is where like her discomfort with her daughter growing up came out. She was like, her response was, what for? You're just chubby. And I was like, oh, oh. Uh, and like, I mean, I was, but like, I also had boobs. Exactly. <laughs> I think maybe she realized what she had done. I think that was like her knee jerk reaction. And then like, sort of was like, oh, oops, which also let's have some honor for the parents here too. Like that's a whole uncharted territory you're going through. Of sure. Like, oh, my kid's growing up. What do I do? And so she did take me to buy one, which was definitely not a grow with me. I don't know. I think it was a become. <laughs> Oh, really? It was. So it's funny because the minute she moves, there's a knock at the door and it's Nancy, the neighbor girl. She is forward within the first five minutes of meeting Margaret. Nancy tells her, oh, you're still flat. I'm growing already. In a few years, I'm going to look like one of those girls in Playboy. I figure you'd be a real grown-up coming from New York. City girls are supposed to grow up a lot faster. Did you ever kiss a boy? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you're flat. I'm already growing, so I'm better than you. And, you know, I thought you'd be a grown-up, but you're not. And, hey, did you ever kiss a boy? Most of my friends were kind of late bloomers. I mean, I know I was. Also, there's a really great song. I'm totally going off topic, but the Secret Sisters, they have a really great song that actually kind of blends into this. It's called Late Bloomer and I'm not, I'm going to botch the line, but it's something like, it doesn't matter like when you bloom, it just matters that you do. Isn't that lovely? And it's a beautiful song. It's interesting because Nancy's the kind of girl who seems like, I know she has an older brother, but it seems like she had an older sister by the way she carries on. She's so ready and eager. And I did know girls like that. And I always felt a little bit nervous around them because I just honestly wasn't interested in those things. And so just by being friends with Nancy, Margaret begins changing And she suddenly wants these things that she never wanted before. Peer pressure. (laughs) It's a real thing. In one breath, Margaret's like, I don't know what's so great about growing up. Like you have to, you know, have good posture and you have to wear deodorant. Deodorant. (laughs) And like, like seems like kind of a pain in the ass to be older. But then like 19 prayers to God and many of them involve growing boobs. And starting periods. I was not a religious child. I mean, I was raised Catholic, but uh, I was not religious personally. My parents tried their best. But <laughs> um, but you said that you prayed a lot. Did you? I did. I prayed a lot. Did you pray lot. to God for boobs? <laughs> I didn't pray to God for boobs, but these prayers were really funny to me because they resonated with me. Like a lot of her prayers are really superficial. And mm-hmm. I remember praying for really stupid things when I was a kid. There was one point where Margaret was mean to Laura and later things aren't working out for her. And she's like, okay, God, I guess you're like punishing me for being mean to Laura. I guess I deserve it. And I had conversations with God all the time 
every day when things were hard or challenging or I wanted something. I prayed for a peaches and cream Barbie, hand to God. <laughs> Because if you asked for it, God was going to give it to you. I did get it. And did you get it? We'll I see. did. I did get it. I was a kid who was not very coordinated. I used to fall a lot. I used to always have scraped up knees. And every time I'd fall, I would be like, okay, God, I know that I'm punished because I was mean to my mom this morning. I wasn't praying for boobs, but like I was praying. And I was praying for, for dumb stuff. And I was praying for some really deep stuff too. I mean, I had challenging times in my childhood. I spoke to God a lot. I speak to God a lot now. But in one prayer, Margaret can be asking for something so kind of superficial and ridiculous on top of something really serious and important. Right. But that's what it is, right? It's like you're still a child. Yeah, you're sort of in that liminal space between childhood and... You're selfish, but yet you do care about other people. You care about your family. You care about your friends. Sometimes she conducts herself so maturely, and sometimes she's so obviously a child. And that's really what right. I love about it. Because it's true, because that's where we all are. And I have to say that in a sense, I can sort of relate to Nancy wanting to, like, I wasn't outspoken, like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to do that. This is still an issue that I have to this day. I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like not knowing what's going to happen. So I tend to like ascribe to the like fake it till you make it. And so in like so many situations, but particularly I think when I was younger in situations with like boys and parties and things like that, I would never sort of be that like doe-eyed like, oh, I don't don't know what's going to happen. I just pretended like I did even though I was just as clueless as Margaret. And like, ultimately, this is what we find out about Nancy, right? That like, I was just going to say, it's just like Nancy when she lied about getting her period. Right. She says she got, she got her period. And then we find out later, like she gets it while she's in the city. She has a breakdown. She's terrified. (laughs) And that was, I can relate to that. I think I was probably more like that Mm. than like, I mean, we were all like Margaret in some ways, but like, I kind of wanted to know as much as I could about something, whether I'd experienced it or not. And sometimes I did pretend like I had more experience with things than I did. No, I get it. And Margaret is, I would say, really honest with Nancy from the very beginning. Like my hair is growing out, like my my ears stick out. And Nancy's like, yeah, I noticed. I noticed. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm kind of flat. Nancy's like, yeah, you're flat. I mean, I feel like there was always kind of a mean girl somewhere around to like remind you of your place in the social structure of life. <laughs> I always felt like I wasn't necessarily friends with a Nancy, but I always felt like there was a Nancy at a sleepover. There was always a girl who knew more, did more, could tell you the way it was. But yeah, so there may be girls that you're not necessarily always in the mix with, but here you are at night. Parents are asleep. Everyone's getting like really real and vulnerable. And then you find out, oh, this girl did this thing with a boy, or this girl has a problem with an eating disorder. It was like, it was always like really serious things that you would learn about people. Right. Like it was very hard to be a bigger girl in middle school. I'm sure. That was really challenging. I mean, in all honesty, like I've heard horror stories from some women about their experience with that. And people were very kind considering that middle school is a time when people are not kind. Yeah. 
it still was challenging when like all of your friends were like sharing clothes and you're like, your clothes aren't going to fit me. But then everybody has a thing, right? So Nancy tells Margaret from the very beginning, like, don't make friends with Laura. Laura's the well-developed girl. She goes, you know, behind the store with the boys and kisses and makes out. And it was just a rumor. But when she finally confronts Laura, Laura tells her, do you think it's any fun to be the biggest kid in class? Try thinking about it. Think about how you'd feel if you had to wear a bra in fourth grade and how everybody laughed and how you always had to cross your arms in front of you and about how the boys called you dirty names just because of how you look. If you want to know the truth, I wish that I looked more like you than me. Yeah. It's sad. It is. And like here, Margaret has just been like, I just want to be like Laura in terms of what I look like. Oh, it's a cruel time in life, man. Everybody sort of wants what they don't have and doesn't appreciate what they do have. And I mean, I remember through much of middle school and high school, like I wanted a boyfriend so badly. Did you? Oh, yeah. And of course, I always ended up having crushes on like my friends' boyfriends. So I would never tell anybody. But it's just interesting that there's like some girls who always had a boyfriend. I love the part of the book where they're having their secret meeting and Gretchen, she gets her father's anatomy book. Oh, right. The quote is, the day that Gretchen finally got up the guts to sneak out her father's anatomy book, we met at my house in my bedroom with the door closed and a chair shoved in front of it. We (laughs) sat on the floor in a circle with the book and opened to the mail body and they were horrified by what they saw they were like which is interesting because like I feel like when you grow up with a brother like what the male body looks like is not shocking to you I mean obviously at a certain point in my life that stopped being something that I saw but like when we were kids we took baths together and stuff it wasn't yeah exactly yeah like Nancy said my brother looks like that they were like do you suppose that that's what Philip Leroy looks like without his clothes on Janie asked Naturally dope, Nancy said. He's male, isn't he? Look at all those veins and stuff. One of the girls, their aunt, like went to a nudist colony and they're like, oh my God, she's divorced. She went to a nudist colony. (laughs) Shocking. I know. (laughs) One of them says, I'll never walk around naked in front of anybody. And then Gretchen says, what about when you get married? And Janie's like, even then. And Nancy's like, you're a prude. And she says, I am not. It has nothing to do with being a prude. And Nancy says, when you grow up, you'll change your mind. You'll want everybody to see you like those girls in Playboy. Katie, I don't (laughs) want everybody to see me. Not like those girls in Playboy, not like ever. So it's interesting, right? Because every person has like their own level of comfort with nakedness. And I'm not a comfortable naked person. So I did not grow up in a naked house. You know how like some people have naked houses? I did not grow up in a naked house. Like my mom and I were pretty naked around each other, like, and didn't really think about it. Right. But of course she died when I was 12. So I grew up very much not in a naked world. But then when I was in my 20s, I fell in love with a hippie. And yes, you did. He was such a hippie. (laughs) Like through and through. (laughs) He still is. Bless his art. And hippies like to be naked a lot. It just is a thing. And uh, I mean, maybe not all hippies. I don't want to assume. But so that really was sort of a game changer for me in terms of that to sort of be around people where like, you know, and like Nancy's talking about like, oh, you'll want everybody to see like the girls in Playboy. And that's like in a very sexualized context. Right. Like the people that I knew that were naked were very much in a like nature loving, like let's go skinny dipping. Like, let's just like be free and whatever. 
I don't know, like I go to hot springs that are clothing optional because I do think that it's more enjoyable to be in the hot spring. So when you go, you don't wear a bathing suit. I don't. And I think it just really varies on your environment. Like if I'm around naked people, I tend to be more like that. And if I'm more around naked. not naked people, <laughs> then you're not. Naked. Like, I don't think that you and I change around each other very no, often. I don't really change in front of people. It's not like a thing I do. Yeah. Versus like with certain other people, like with my other best friend, because I have two best friends. I'm sure we've been totally naked around each other and like not thought much of it. Like, it I mean, just I have depends friends that get totally friends. naked in front of me and it's like, I don't care, but like, I'm not going to do that. That's just not how I roll. Yeah, I tend to be like adaptive to the situation. <laughs> Is this a naked person? No, then no. I'm not okay, duly <laughs> noted. I want to talk about Norman's party. So there's this kid in the class who's considered quote a drip. Okay, his name is Norman. He has a party and invites a dinner party. What do they call it? Like a supper party or something? I don't know. It's like. It's like a party and they're going to serve supper. Right. There's like dinner. Which I think is a Midwest East Coast thing to say supper. Is that what they called it? A supper party? It was something like that. Anyway. Yeah. So Norman has this birthday party and he invites the whole class. And so all the girls get all dressed up, all pretty. I think even Margaret stuffs her bra with some. Oh, she does. Some sterile cotton balls. Yes, sterile yes. cotton balls. Um, so she looks a little bit better in her dress. At the party, like the boys are behaving badly. They're like literally destroying the basement, shooting food up on the ceiling, just being being junior high, middle school boys. Yes. And the girls are kind of on the other side, not, <laughs> not doing those things, <laughs> behaving themselves. And someone gets the bright idea, like, hey, let's play spin the bottle which evolves later into Two Minutes in Heaven. I may have played Spin the Bottle at some point. I don't really remember. But yeah, like a two minutes or seven minutes in heaven kind of situation. I've never done that. Have you? I don't think so. Yeah. I have played Spin the Bottle, but not until I was like maybe 18, I think. This was Margaret's first kiss. Right. With Philip Leroy. Right. Like the cute one. Right. Like she didn't get the drippy guy. No, she didn't. And I mean, she did later. She accidentally calls out his name. Right. But at least that was not the first kiss. And I think she was like, just kiss me on the cheek. Right. Like get it over with. (laughs) How old were you the first time you kissed a boy? Mm, I kissed a boy in sixth grade. It was a very innocent type kiss, but I really wasn't kissing boys until much, much later. And Like I said, I wasn't in a hurry for a boyfriend. I just, I wasn't into it. I was embarrassed by the prospect of the entire thing, which is so sad to me. Like if I had a daughter, I would really, I would hope that she didn't feel that way about her body. I would hope that she had a more positive outlook on the fact that she was changing and coming into her own and what all that means. I don't know. Because my mom was very open with me. I was raised on our bodies ourselves from the time I was like, is it a wonder that I'm a midwife now? From the time that I was really little. So like all of that. And then when we got to be older, the Boston Women's Book Collective who publishes Our Bodies Ourselves also made a book called like Changing Bodies, Changing Lives, which was, I imagine at the time, this would have been like in the mid to late 80s was probably pretty remarkable, similarly to Our Bodies Ourselves, where it was just really straightforward about like how your bodies change. It was really straightforward about like gay and lesbian sex. And this was just a book like on your family bookshelf. It wasn't a book that like your parents had, but they kept it in this private space. No, I think that this was really genius. And I have given people the same advice who have adolescent aged kids as in like, 
don't make a big deal of it. Just like get a book, stick it on a family bookshelf and it will disappear. It's there if you want it. They'll know it's there. And I think it probably like rotated between like my room and my brother's room at like different times in our lives. And, but it really was a great, just really honest, really straightforward. Like there wasn't a lot of shaming involved. It was just like, Hey, some people like this, but some people don't. And that's okay. Like, however you feel about it. I had a lot of information And this was pre-internet. Right. Which actually, it's a little bit horrifying to think about people getting their education from the internet. Okay. So that's like a real issue, right? The way I handled it with my boys is I found a couple of really good books that I liked. I bought them for them. And I said, hey, these books belong to you. They live in your room. You can open them. You cannot open them. But I don't want you searching the internet for this kind of information. Everything that you are interested in or could have questions about is contained in this book. I trust this information just because something's on the internet doesn't make it real, doesn't make it true. I'm going to leave them here in your room and we would hide them. Not that they're anything to hide, but like I would put them at the bottom of their drawer with all their clothes on top. This is where they live just because if they had friends over, I didn't want them to be embarrassed. And if that was something they wanted to look at or consult with their friends, they knew where it was. They could pull it out. But just to have someone discover it in their bookshelf might be a little bit embarrassing for them. So that was the way that I did that because it was important to me that they didn't consult the internet for questions about their changing body. Like, I'm like, oh, what are you going to see? What's interesting too is like never in any of this does Margaret, she will talk to her mom freely. Like I got my period or she'll tell her grandma, which is amazing. I don't have that kind of relationship with my grandma. Like my friends got their period. She's so open about it. When she gets a bra, her dad's like, oh, you're growing up, Margaret. Congratulations. Her dad congratulates her on growing up. And she's just like, oh, daddy. Okay. I would have died. I would just assume <laughs> right. die, right? die if my dad would have said that to me. But she's so open in that regard. But on the other hand, never in any of this did she really consult an adult for advice. She was getting her information right. from her friends. Which is, I think, what happens. And what's also interesting is like you can give your kid all of the like medically accurate information you want because I for sure had all of it. But like... I can remember my friends like having really misguided conceptions about where babies came from and how that happened and what sex was. And I just stayed quiet. Like I knew. <laughs> yeah. I knew I that. I know you're talking about me. <laughs> they were really not. I mean, I know you're talking they were... <laughs> about me. And I'm so. <laughs> and I just kind of was like, oh, that's, well, they'll I didn't out one know day. for a long time. And in fairness to my parents, I didn't ask. So I think that. They thought when she wants to know, she'll ask, which I eventually did. But I was pretty old. And I when I told you, I was like, can you believe it? And you were like, I've known that for like five years. Like you knew for so long and I didn't. My mom sort of took the approach of like just answering questions like as they came up. So like for a really long, like a really long time, I knew that like a sperm and an egg met and that the baby grew in the mom's uterus. There's literally like I have a memory of painting (laughs) a finger painting when I was like four years old in preschool. And the teacher was like, what are you painting? And I was like, this is a baby and it's in its mommy's uterus. (laughs) (laughs) I clearly had just had that lesson. And so... So I knew all of that. And then I think somewhere around like seven years old, I can still remember this so vividly. I was sitting on the edge of my parents' bed and I was like, but how does the sperm and the egg come together? (laughs) Like, how does it get there? Right. 
(laughs) And that is when she told me, and I felt a little sick to my stomach. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm never going to do that. That's disgusting. And she said, this I think is a really great answer. She said, it's really normal for you to feel that way now. Mm -hmm. And that's very appropriate. And you won't always feel that way. And I was like, right. I will <laughs> what do you know? Feel that way. <laughs> well, I remember being shocked by the information. And I remember you being I mean, like, shocking. not shocked by the information because you knew. One day, Margaret's like feeling particularly brave. This was after she'd kind of like called Laura Danker out. Laura got upset with her. She was like, you know what? Forget it. I don't need God. God's not looking out for me. She has her moment of anger. I'm going to do what I want. And she's feeling brave. And she jaywalks across the street with her girlfriend. <laughs> she's like, screw the, the the laws of traffic and pedestrian safety. I'm feeling brave. Let's buy some pads at the local drugstore. Her friend's like, what? I don't know. I don't know. Like, this is so embarrassing. And they go and they pick out the pads they're going to buy and they go to get in line and there's a male cashier. It's like, we can't buy these. There's a guy behind the counter. Right. Right. It's so true to how you're feeling at that age about all of it. It was a little bit awkward to have to like tell my dad what kind of pads or tampons to get me. You know, I'm sure that it was because it was your dad. I mean, I had a stepfather come into the mix and my mom and I had a secret code on the grocery list. Yeah. Because I didn't want to have to write pads and have him see it like that. The idea of that was so horrifying to me. He wouldn't have cared. So I was 12 when my mom died, which is also a time that your body is like growing and developing and changing rapidly. So at a certain point, like my bras didn't fit anymore. It's like to the point where they were like digging into me and I just could not. Baby Kate. To like ask my dad for new bras. Like that was just too horrifying an idea. And your mom took me and got me new bras. And I don't even know, like, I don't know if she just paid for them. I don't know if my dad paid her back. I don't know how that all went down, but I just remember being so grateful. All that matters is that you got some bras. That's all that matters. (laughs) So I wasn't having my circulation cut off. (laughs) This was a really pivotal time in your life after your mom passed away and stuff. Were you having a lot of conversations with God? Did you have a period where you were particularly angry with God? I was not a spiritual child. Like I went to all of the religious classes and stuff as, you know, right, a you were raised child. Catholic. Mm-hmm. But I was pretty sure that that just was not for me. Like I don't I don't know, like <laughs> it's so funny because I think sometimes when I see like young people sort of proclaiming things. And I think you're so young. What do you know? But I was like, actually, like, no, I felt really strongly about things at that age. And yeah, but my mom was very, I mean, I think both of my parents were very Catholic and it just didn't speak to me. Mm -hmm. So, and then at one point, like, this is interesting. (laughs) So at one point I actually started to convert to Judaism and I didn't finish because I moved and I never found a temple that was a good fit for me that like I tried and I was like, no, this isn't quite feeling right. But it is interesting when she talks about like being born into a religion versus choosing a religion, like Judaism just felt like it resonated with me a lot more and kind of in terms of like the things that I believed and the ideas that I had. And so it was interesting to sort of choose 
a religion. Throughout the book, Margaret is on this year-long project of self-discovery. She needs to do this project for school, and it can be on anything that she wants. And she more or less falls into this whole, what religion am I? Because it's shocking to the town that she lives in now that she doesn't go to Sunday school. And her grandma on her dad's side is Jewish. Her mother's family is Christian. And her mother and father got together, Jewish and Christian, and it caused a huge divide in their family. Margaret is like, well, what am I? Am I Christian? Am I Jewish? Am I Catholic? And so she starts going to church and temple and religious ceremonies with the people that she knows to try to find where she fits. And there's a prayer where she says, I've been looking for you, God. I looked in temple. I looked in church. And today I looked for you when I wanted to confess, but you weren't there. I didn't feel you at all. Not the way I do when I talk to you at night. Why, God? Why do I only feel you when I'm alone? What's so interesting is she says later in the book, when I grow up, I don't want my kid to have to choose for themselves. This is too hard. It's better to be born into a religion and to be told what you are, because then you never have to ask the question. But what I love the most about it is, like I said earlier, God was with her all the time. Even when she was mad, she's like, I'm not talking to you, God, I'm mad. But like, she's talking to him. Right. Like, he's still there, right? Because like- He's still there. If he's not there, you're not talking to him. Exactly. (laughs) Or you're not not talking to him. (laughs) You know, and this, this causes a major divide in her family. And she's very close to her grandmother on her father's side. And even her grandmother's like, you're Jewish. Like, that's who you are, Margaret. Don't forget. And she's like, no, I'm not Jewish. I'm not Christian. She says, just remember, Margaret, no matter what they said, you're a Jewish girl. No, I'm not. I argued. I am nothing. And you know it. I don't even believe in God. Margaret, Grandma said, don't ever talk like that about God. Why not? I asked. It's true. I wanted to ask God, did he hear that? But I wasn't speaking to him. (laughs) And I guess he knew it. And then she goes on to, of course, continue talking to God. So even in her most angry, most confused state, she still had her relationship with God. Right. Yeah. And it's an interesting point that, you know, we're sort of taught that God is in church or in temple or in these places. But the truth is, her experience is more true, right? Like God lives in you and and is with you wherever you go. And if you find connection by going into a building with other people and like sharing prayer and and sharing your beliefs. What is the line from Hamlet? My words fly up, my thoughts remain below, words without thoughts never to heaven go. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. So you can go in a church, you can be in the building, and you can even be like mouthing the words and saying the words of the prayer. But if your heart's not in it, how meaningful is it? When you think about the major themes about this book, like about friendship and puberty against the backdrop of religion. It's crazy to me because I got the the female sex ed in a Christian school. Oh, do tell. Okay, so <laughs> I was in sixth grade and we had this like special two days where the boys went off and got their talk. The girls went off and got their talk and someone from the outside came in much like this. And to talk what is, to what us. is the company called in the book? The lady? <laughs> what is it called? The private lady company. Oh, private lady. <laughs> very private. <laughs> so we had a lady come in from the private lady company. No, I don't know. She was like a speaker. I think she just went around giving sex ed talk 
to Christian, Christian schools. students. Yeah. I, I do think. And we learned all about the biology of, you know, the female reproductive system and periods, menstruation, and <laughs> all of these things. <laughs> I'm just going to say that I am a midwife and I do not say menstruation. I say it's menstruation. menstruation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we learned about all these things, but one thing she told us even though you're young, this is the time in your life you need to be praying for your partner. You've never met your partner, probably. Man, that's yeah. where I went wrong. <laughs> Pray for your partner. Pray for the kind of partner that you want for your life. And I was oh, like, did you do that? I did. And look at how it worked out for you. In fact, I helped. I introduced you to your partner. You did. You introduced me to my husband. It's true. Um, so there you have the the marriage, if you will, of friendship okay. and So you were love. 11 and you started praying for your partner and he showed up when you were 18. So if I'm 44 and I start praying, <laughs> that'll be seven years. If I have one negative thing to say about this book, we're going to lose listeners here. I'm sure that Judy Bloom would welcome constructive criticism. By the end of the book, Margaret has turned 12. She gets her period. I felt like the book ended abruptly because the final prayer, I'm just going to read it after she's just been so frustrated with God this whole time. God, it's time for me to start growing. Don't you think? What are you waiting for? I just want to be normal. Where's my period? Where's my period? Where's my period? Right? She says, are you still there, God? It's me, Margaret. I know you're there, God. I know you wouldn't have missed this for anything. Thank you, God. Thanks an awful lot. Too tidy of a bow. I, I just <laughs> felt like she gets her period the end when it was this whole buildup for the whole book. And what does it really mean? What has she really gained? Because she started her period. Because she's now stepping into womanhood. Like, I don't know. I was expecting more. I actually didn't remember that it ended this abruptly. This was one of the big surprises to me in revisiting this book. I was just sort of like, uh. I kind of like the end of the book because... She doesn't come to an answer about religion. She has kind of this cluster of like her mom's parents coming and telling her yes. what religion she is and her dad's mother coming and, and judging those parents for telling her what religion she is and then reminding her that she really is just Jewish. And so you're left with that ambiguity, but then you also sort of get this, oh, but her relationship with God is intact and like, but it here always she has, was. but from her perspective now it's intact, even though she sort of turned her back on God for a while, this moment still came to her and that she wants God to be part of that. I don't, I think it's important. I think it's important. I think the most important line in this prayer is, I know you're there, God. I know you wouldn't have missed this for anything. Right. I mean, because he was there all along, even when she didn't want him. But it was like, oh, well, I got the period. I got the prize, which we're all like, oh, poor girl got her period. That ain't no prize, Margaret. <laughs> right. Like, my thought was like, <laughs> I was not thinking of God when I got my period. It was not for celebratory <laughs> for me. Which, I mean, how lovely if it was. No, you know what? That's really true. That's a really good point. Like, what if that had been for us what it was for Margaret? I do take issue with this in the book is that she's kind of like, oh, you know, she told us this about periods. She told us this. She told us it wouldn't hurt, which we all knew anyway. And I was like, yes, <laughs> what? My periods hurt. <laughs> That's a big fat lie. Some more than others. Right. I mean, there are people who are like, oh, I think I might be having a cramp. And I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. 
Isn't that nice for you? (laughs) (laughs) What's that like? Was this in the movie How to Make an American Quilt? Or is this like a generally known thing that they do in France? It's like girl gets her period, they celebrate with a glass of red wine. It's like this big sort of celebration of womanhood. And neither you nor I felt that way about it. It was like, crap. Right. It just felt like, oh. And I think there's also this weird, I don't know if anybody ever said this to me out loud, but there was also this weird burden of like, well, now you could get pregnant, which Let me just be clear. (laughs) I was doing nothing (laughs) that would have gotten me pregnant for many years after I started to menstruate. (laughs) And yet you're sort of like saddled with that like weird feeling of responsibility. At a very tender age where you're like, I don't even, I don't even want to carry a pad in my purse to the bathroom. Right. Tender age. Is it true? Yeah, it's true. It's totally true that that could happen. And, and is it true that there are women at that age doing things that could lead to pregnancy it is true I don't think that we address that properly by not talking about it I think that acknowledging that like people's bodies follow sort of a different template than maybe our society you know I'm sure like if our society could choose they'd be like you can start your period when you're 21 you know but that's awesome because I don't need it till then thanks (laughs) (laughs) and I know that young men have their own I mean Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm very glad that I have a vulva and a vagina and not a penis. Oh my God, you said vulva. (laughs) That is the right word. I know. It's fine. Embrace the vulva. I'm sorry. I don't want to embrace the vulva. How do you have a best friend that's a midwife and you're uncomfortable with the word vulva? I ask my doctors (laughs) every day. I don't know. Sometimes I do realize that I'll be like at somebody's house and I'm just like, to me, it's very normal to have conversation about body parts and whatever. And they're like, "Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Did you know that Bloom's success with this book inspired her to write another book called Then Again, Maybe I Won't from a boy's perspective. I've never read this book. I think I have read it, although I don't remember it. Yeah, I would be really interested to read it as the mother of two sons. But yeah, I mean, I imagine that that's a really weird time to be a boy too. In 2010, Margaret was placed on Time's list of the top 100 fiction books since 1923, which is really cool. And Time wrote, quote, Bloom turned millions of preteens into readers. She did it by asking the right questions and avoiding pat, easy answers. She did. In recent-ish news, it was announced that there's going to be a film adaptation of Margaret. It's in the early stages of development. Funny, because I was like, did anybody ever make a movie out of this? I mean, it seems like it would be awesome. Yeah, it would be so interesting. I'd be curious, though, because the book itself is actually, if you you have not read it in a long time or you've never read it, it's a very easy read. It's a small book. And personally, I found it quite enjoyable to revisit. As did I. It's not like a lengthy story, really. So I'd be kind of curious to know how they translate it to film. Mm -hmm. I imagine they'd have to add a little extra. Part of me is a little bit afraid of it because... I know, don't, like, that's a lot of pressure. (sighs) Don't ruin it. Whoever whoever has the rights to it, be careful. (laughs) No pressure. This book is a legacy. And so I feel like to make it relevant to a young target audience of kids this age, it's going to have to change a lot. And I don't want it to because I treasure the story for the innocence. 
in it. I want the integrity of the story to remain. I want it to still be as innocent and full of pure curiosity. Yeah, like I think that you have to update it. And I think that you do maybe have to find the innocence that's still there, right? Because it is. It is there. Judy Bloom gets it. She does. She captures all of the complexities of being a person at a young age going through a lot of changes. And maybe at some point we'll tackle forever if you're game. Oh, yeah. Why not? That was a good one, too. I think that, like, one of the beautiful things about Judy Bloom's writing is that she just is honest, which often people are not honest with young people, right? They like to sugarcoat things or they like to make it fancier than it is or whatever. And like, she's just really honest. And I think that that carries through the generations. I hope that Gen X women are sharing this book with their daughters. And if you've forgotten about how great this book is, we really can't recommend the book enough. And hopefully on your shelf, you had the old copy because if you do treasure it, If you happen to be in Key West, Florida, Bloom is the co-founder with her husband, George Cooper, of Books and Books at the Studios of Key West, a locally owned, nonprofit, independently minded neighborhood bookstore. And people go there to pay homage to Judy Bloom. I will say, don't plan your trip this second, because I just (laughs) heard uh, an interview with Judy Bloom. Cheryl Strayed did an interview with Judy Bloom. And so right now, it's I don't think it's open because of the pandemic. But it's actually a really lovely interview. I would encourage you to go find it because it's just so nice to like hear from her and hear her talk about her writing, which she doesn't like now the bookstore is her thing. She doesn't write anymore, but she wrote a lot and we're very grateful for it. We definitely love you, Judy. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for being one of us. Thank you for reflecting ourselves back to us is a really important read. It is. So go get a copy. And, uh, and on that note, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any comments, thoughts, or suggestions on future episodes, we invite you to let us know on social media or drop us an email at untitledgenxpodcast at gmail.com. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.